0: We're going to be taking a look this morning, and we are back in the Gospel of John, this ancient account of the life of Jesus. And we're walking through it piece by piece by piece. And as we've seen in these accounts, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, has made quite a name for himself. But here we come to to a passage where someone has to decide, not just is he special, but is he trustworthy? He, We know he can draw a crowd, but is he worth the crowd that draws to him? So if you would read with me from uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 46. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water. Oh, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 43, after We're just kind of jumping all over the bulletin today. Go backwards up to verse 43. And after two days, he, that is Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum There was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son Will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Father, we come to this story, this story that's about you. About you as uh, the second person of the Trinity, as Jesus Christ, as you lived a life here on a real earth and dealt with real people, people with questions, people with fears, people with anxieties, people who weren't sure what the next day would bring, and they came to you wondering if you had life to offer them. God, as we consider the story of this official, as we hear the tale of what you did and how you responded, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to undersee, understand and to see Just who you are pray this in Jesus name Amen Well last week I had uh, one of the more pleasurable experiences of going used car shopping Right Um, Some of you enjoy this process And I think you're crazy Right Um, Now I don't want to make anyone envious here But we Recently, became the proud owners of the double minivan, meaning both my wife and I both get to drive a minivan around town. We can haul all the stuff, okay? But here's uh, the the process of going to a a used car dealer is um, just annoying to me, right? I'm kind of an over an over-researcher kind of person, right? I, I look at when I'm gonna go buy something, I've researched it to the nth degree, right? To the point that I'm going to visit these used car lots, right? And I've already know the far, I've already looked at the car facts on the vehicles, right? I've already compared the prices. I already have looked at, at the dealers' reputations and, and their scores, but I still show up and pretend like I know nothing about the vehicles that they're going to show me, right? I go to one of these uh, establishments and I'm there to, to look at this van that I had uh, seen on the internet and, and I asked the, uh, the, the car salesman, I said, now why should I, why do I want to buy this car from you, right? Like what, what is it that you all do here that gives me reason that I want to buy this vehicle from you because they're a, a dime a dozen because they're so popular, minivans, you know. Uh, and he goes on and he tells me about uh, how the deal, how this dealer has this wonderful service dispar- de- uh, department, and how they inspect each and every vehicle. They go over it with a fine-tooth comb and, and they repair anything and everything that's needed. They change the oil, they flush the fluids, they go above and beyond. And he said to me, look, I mean, it's basically a certified vehicle. Which, if you don't know, a lot of times if it's called a certified vehicle, it comes with this thing called a, a warranty, right? So I said, Wow, that's, that's really impressive. Does it come with any sort of, of warranty or any sort of, uh, of buyer's guarantee, right? And he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, Well, well, uh, okay, so it's, it's sold as is, but uh, can I see like the, the service records, right? If, you're, if your service department had done all this stuff to the vehicle, can I see just an itemized list of all the work that they did? And he looked at me like I was crazier still, right? I was like, why should I trust you, car salesman? I don't trust you right you have every reason in the world to tell me something that's not true you have every reason in the world to have no idea what's wrong about this particular vehicle on this particular lot when you have hundreds of vehicles there's no way that you can look me in the eye and tell me that this vehicle has nothing wrong with it especially if you don't have anything that that guarantees that kind of result for me right if you have no sort of Warranty. If you have no sort of uh, proof of the inspection, then it just, your word just isn't worth it, right? If I don't have something that tells me what the end result is going to be, if this thing starts smelling like a lemon, then your word, it just doesn't mean a whole lot. As we come to this text, we come... Uh, And and I want us to consider this idea that a lot of times we approach God. A lot of times we approach Jesus like he's a, a used car salesman. That we can trust him if and only if we see the results of what that faith is going to bring. That we can trust his word if and only if we have some sort of guarantee, some sort of warranty, some sort of proof... Of what's going to come our way but Jesus comes and he says if you will believe in me right whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life and yet I want us to think about this morning is that there's really two different ways we use that word to believe in Jesus one is is not really belief in Jesus at all it's a belief that's based on what we foresee the results are going to be. And the other is a belief that's not based upon the results, but based upon the person of who Jesus is. So there's a belief that's based on what we think our results are, and there's a faith that's built on a person. And I want us to take a a, a look at these two kinds of beliefs in turn. The first is a belief based on the results or the anticipated results, right? This is the kind of faith that I wanted to have in my uh, used car salesman, right? I wanted to, to purchase a vehicle from him with a faith that there would be uh, the, a good vehicle at the end of the day. I wanted some sort of warranty. I wanted some sort of, of guarantee. I wanted to see the payout before I put the money down. So too did the Galileans. You start here, the passage starts with these almost, it almost sounds like contradictory sentences in verse 44 and 45. Jesus had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, yet when he goes to his hometown, there's a crowd of people there to welcome him. There's a herd of, of people that is there, and, and the text tells us why. Because they had gone to Jerusalem and they had seen these miracles that this man Jesus could do. They had seen these impressive works, works that John hasn't recorded for us, but we kind of know the things that Jesus did, right? The healing of the sick, right? The, the, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the water turned to wine. It was impressive. They came to to gather around and to see him, but did they uh, want him or did they want the results, the miracles? All right, when you and I read the Bible, we have a tendency to think, uh, you know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's all these miraculous things, right? These things that that don't have a, a natural explanation for them to, to our scientific mind. And you can come away with the impression that miracles just happened here, there, and everywhere. That every day that there was miracles coming uh, out of the sky. And yet, uh, the Bible is actually portrays a different picture. It's a picture where miracles come as validation. They come at these moments, these transition points in the salvation history of God's people Times when they needed to know this is the word from the Lord. Miracles were there to validate the testimony of the speaker, whether it was a prophet, or in this case, to validate that Jesus really had come from God, or in fact, that Jesus really was God. And so the people gathered around this this miracle worker uh, because they wanted to see and to know what he would do. Surely, even if he's a little bit crazy, he's got to be doing something, right? He's got to be doing something the way it's supposed to be done to have this kind of power. And so they flocked to him. Jesus, uh, we're told in chapter 2 as the crowds approach him, that he knows what's in a man. He knows what's going on in the man or the woman that draws near to his side. And in them, in this crowd, he can see a group of people who who are looking for the results. They're looking for the guarantee. They're looking for the warranty that he's worth following. And he says to them in response to one man, but he says it to the crowd, unless you all, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, that's not us, is it? That's not us that, that just come to Jesus looking to see a guaranteed finish, the guaranteed good, what's in it for us before we can trust in him. I, I know many of you all have sent, spent some time in the hospital, whether you were the one laying in the bed or you were sitting there with a loved one who was in the hospital for any reason, Right? And, and you're sitting there for hours and hours and hours, passing the time as the days go by. And, and the person who's sick or, or the, the expecting mother or, or whoever it is is laying in the bed. And, you know, they got those, uh, you know, the fancy beds that lift and have all the buttons and, and things on that. You can control the TV on there. But the nurse always comes in and she always says, if you need anything at all, just press this button and I will come. Press this button and I'll come uh, help you or or to serve you. And this system works really well when you need a warm blanket, right? When you need a a cup of of ice water, when you're uh, asking when the next round of your pain meds is because you can feel the the pain meds coming, you just press the button. She promises she'll come and you wait for him or her to come and, and solve the needs. But there's a very different thing that happens if you've been in a hospital room when that, the, the, the machines start beeping, right? Not the rhythmic beeps, the crazy beeps, right? The, the alarms that, that go off. There's something different that happens in a room when, when the person's breath begins to pick up or when their breaths begin to, to slow and pause, There's a different thing that happens when all of a sudden you realize that something is not going on the way it's supposed to be, and no longer do you sit there and press that button and say, and trust that she will come. No, you run out into the the hallway, out to the nurse's station. You're scanning the room, trying to find your nurse or a doctor, or if they're not there, then anyone will do, and you say, no, I need help. And if they don't respond, right, if you don't... See them uh, pairing, reassuring words with a a swift movement. With getting up and, and running to your aid, you become agitated. Have you ever been there before? Distraught. Worry. No one is taking my need seriously, but I need help and I need it now. This is life or death. I need to see results. So this man, this official is what he's called in the text, comes to Jesus and his son is in the hospital bed and the machines are going crazy and his breath is getting slow. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my son is at the point of death. He's desperate for answers, but even more desperate to see Jesus' response. Sir, come down before my child dies, he exclaims. It's one of those moments when I'm on my way just doesn't cut it. You need to see that results are coming, but yet Jesus' response to him is, go. Your son will live. Now, go, your son will live uh, sounds really sweet and great if you're 100% confident that the person who said them knows what they're talking about or that you know the person who says it is uh, capable to say such thing. But if you have any doubt at all, if your belief in Jesus is based upon the things that he can do, well, then go, your son will live is not reassuring at all. In fact, it seems like Jesus is blowing off your concern. He's leaving your son to die. Does he believe in Jesus or does he believe in the action of Jesus? Does he believe in Jesus, or does he believe only when Jesus gives him the desired response? Does he believe in Jesus only when he has a a clear-cut receipt, a warranty, a, a testimony that Jesus is on the move? Does he believe in Jesus, or does he only believe when Jesus responds the way he wants him to? Jesus says, go, and your prayer will be answered. And we go, like, now... How long is the wait line, Jesus, to respond to my need? How long, Jesus, do I have to to wait before you are going to answer me? Right? There's uh, moments when we are in pain, when we suffer, when we're disoriented and confused, when we're experiencing heartache or sorrow or just confusion. And Jesus says to us, Go and all will be well, but we don't know whether he's really good for it or not. It's a belief that's based upon what we think the results will be, than whether Jesus is worthy of our faith in and of himself. We come to Jesus for relief, and sometimes, sometimes we don't get the response we want. You see, this man wanted Jesus' eyes to get big with worry. He wanted Jesus to pick up his robe and, and run alongside him. He wanted Jesus to respond right away. And instead, what Jesus says is, go, you have my word. All will be well. Do you trust me? I don't know what happened in that moment. The text doesn't tell us if there was silence, how the man received uh, his request. But the man has come and said, Jesus, come with me. And Jesus says, go on your own and it will be fine. But something happened in that man. Something happened in him that gave him the grace to be able to see just who it was that he was talking We get to see that this man's belief in Jesus was not based upon the guaranteed results he wanted to see but upon the person that he was talking to. Verse 50 tells us, after Jesus said to him, go, your son will live that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man listened to the voice of Jesus The man heard the words that Jesus said and he considered it good. Not because he had the proof. Not because he knew that the results were there, but because of who it was that spoke him. He believed the words of Jesus. Before he saw the results, before he knew the miracle that had transpired, he believed because he believed the person that spoke to him. I know this will come as a shock to some of you, but uh, every so often, my wife and I will have a disagreement, right? There will become a, a disagreement over uh, limited time, limited money, limited energy, right? Where to invest our time and energy and and, and things, whether to sign up for yet another kid's activity or or whether to... Uh, pursue a new business opportunity. We're always engaging, always planning for the future. And this is probably also a shocker. We're pretty different people, right? We view the world in different ways. We have different priorities, right? We have different values. We have different ideas of what we want to be when we grow up, right? Right? And so every so often these, these uh, differences of opinions become arguments, arguments of, of good things, arguments of what is it that we want to do in the future, where should we spend our time, where should we pour out our lives, and, and uh, I can promise you something that's never happened in those disagreements where I think we should spend the money on this and she thinks we should spend the money on that, never has it happened when I get to a place and I say, you know what, I really think you're right. Your logic is just impeccable here, right? The things that you value really are near and dear to my heart, and I also want to spend the money in the same way you do. Never in the history of our 12 years of marriage has that ever happened, Because I'm not her. I can't see why she wants to spend the money that way. I'm not her. I don't come from her perspective. So I don't even see how it's possible for this and that to transpire in succession the way that she has assured me it would. I don't see how and I don't see why. But very much unlike a car salesman, I know who it is that I'm talking to. I don't understand her reasoning at all, but I understand her. And I know that she is every bit as smart as me. I know that she is every bit as gifted as me. I know she is every bit of the number, uh, amount of, of life experiences to inform her decision as me. She is every bit as wise as me, and I also know something else. I know that she does not want to see me bankrupted. I know that she also uh, does not want to see me in pain. I know that if the result of whatever choice we make leads to my pain and my discomfort, I know that she will bear my pain and my discomfort with me. I don't understand why and I don't understand how, but I understand who it is. And about one half of the percent of the time, I can trust that. About one half of the time, I can come to this place and I know who it is that I'm talking to and that I can trust her. I don't need to trust her reasons and I don't need to trust her assurances because I have her. I know her. And if every once in a while, a, a dumb, dumb like me can put trust in a human being to have, uh, I'll be looking out for my good. If every once in a while, an idiot like me can see that I'm being counterproductive, that I ought to listen, that I ought to care about things which I can't see and don't know. If a dumb, dumb like me can put that trust in a human person, how much more? To the maker of heaven and earth. How much more can we come in pain and sorrow in confusion. When God does not respond the way that we expect. Or doesn't respond the way we want him to. And know that his purposes are pure. How much more can we come to Jesus in the, the, the pain of our loved one's health. And know that his salvation is sure. How much more can we come when when God's law or the providence of the place in which he's put us. And it seems so cruel and it seems impossible and it seems so hard. And how much more can we believe that he is for our good. Even if and perhaps especially when we can't see the results of what he's doing. If I am able to every so often put trust in the woman who has shown me nothing but love and kindness and care, how much more can we trust our Father in heaven? And so this man, while he wants Jesus to come with him, while he wants to see Jesus come and fix the problem there in person, he hears the word of Jesus says, go, your son is healed. And he believes it. And he turns his back and he walks away with Jesus with nothing in his hands except for the word of Jesus. And he finds out that he puts his faith in the right place, doesn't he? As he's journeying home, as he's walking home, he's greeted by his servants who come and they tell him, your son has, has healed. The, the fever has lifted. There is life Where we thought only death was before. And the man asks, when did this happen? And they say the seventh hour. And his mind knows exactly the time that Jesus uttered those words. Go, your son will live. And he puts the two together. Right, The man who has believed in God because of who Jesus is. Now finds himself able to rejoice with even more belief. You see that in the text? After this miraculous healing, it tells us in verse 53 that he himself believed and all his household. And you see, we come to Jesus and, and we can hear this line of argument. We can hear this line of, of saying, believe in the person of Jesus. Believe that he is working all things together for good for those who love him. Right? We can hear these promises and we can beat ourselves up, but what brings belief in this text, what brings the, the belief of the household, the belief of the, a group of people uh, to know and understand Jesus is the history of his first belief. Right? We don't conjure up belief on our own. It is a gift to us when we remember just how many times God has been faithful before. He believed the words of God. And because he believed, he walked away that day. And because he believed, he met his servants who told him the story. And because he believed... He wasn't still pulling on Jesus' robe saying, why have you done me wrong? Why are you not listening? But instead, he gets to see that his faith was in the right place. And so are we, as we come to God, whether it's the first step of belief or whether it's the one millionth, we look at what God has already done. We look at the works that God has done already proved in our lives. We've looked at his goodness and his grace to people in in every continent of the earth, in every age of the earth. God who keeps showing up, who keeps proving himself to be trustworthy. We don't trust God because he gives us the results we want. Because he might not. He might have be looking at this problem from a completely different angle than you are. He might uh, have a, a, complete, a completely other different set of factors that's running through his head than you have. But I can promise you this, he knows more than you know. I can promise you this, that he cares more about you than you could ever uh, imagine. I know that he is one who can be believed because of who he is. And not because we have an assurance of what he's going to do. I recently have um, been uh, diving back into the world of Harry Potter. I I came came to the books much too late in life... Um, but I had always put off watching the movies until I read the books. I was, I, I was uh, diligent enough to, to do that. And so, just like the, literally this week, I've started rewatching a, a couple. I've watched a couple of the movies uh, that came out several years ago. And I, I came and I watched uh, the fifth book or the fifth movie, Harry Potter and the or- Order of the Phoenix. Right? And, and if you somehow uh, have not been sucked into the Harry Potter vortex, right? it's this story of this boy wizard and, and, and there is a deathly threat that's been put against him and against the whole world where he is the target of this dark lord Voldemort. Right, and he, and is a teenager in the midst of his schooling. It feels the incredible pressures of an entire civilization that's put upon him, the fear of death, the fear of the death of his friends, plus he's just a, a, a moody hormonal teenager. Right? Do you all remember this book, this movie? I mean, Harry is the most obnoxious character in the book. You're like, you're supposed to be the hero of the story, and I can't stand you right? He's moody. He snaps and, and fights. He's angry and prideful. He's mean to everyone, right? His friends try to come help him, and he's like, get away from me. I can do it on my own. He, we watch him as he uh, is, is being tormented and is being fed false information, and as he bites it hook and sinker, right? He goes where he is going in, a, in the most stupid and ignorant direction because he won't trust anyone, and finally, finally, as a reader, you get to this, this point in the book where, where someone just tells Harry off, right? I actually printed this in the front of your bulletin. But this person comes to Harry and he says, Has it not occurred to you, my poor puffed-up poppin' jay, that there might be an excellent reason why the headmaster of Hogwarts is not confiding every tiny detail of his plans to you? Have you never paused while feeling hard done by to know that following Double Door's orders, the, the headmaster, the, uh, dare say, God figure of the books, right, has never yet led you into harm? No, no, like all young people, you are quite sure that you alone feel and think, that you alone recognize danger, that you alone are the only one clever enough to realize what the dark Lord may be planning. And as a reader, you come to this text and you applaud because you know what Harry refuses to concede. You know by the fifth book who this character Dumbledore is. And you know that he is out for Harry's good. And while there's all sorts of loose ends and there's all sorts of of scary things that Harry is pressed with, you know that Dumbledore is not the problem but is the hope. You know who Dumbledore is because he's a protector. He's always been one. You know who Dumbledore is because he's Harry's friend and he's always been that. You know who Dumbledore is because, not because in the moment you see him doing what Harry thinks he ought to be doing, but because you have seen him over and over again over again weigh the factors and make the decisions that are the most wise the most healing that bring the most health he knows far more than harry could ever imagine about the world and he wants nothing more than for harry to trust him to trust his word we come to god And we can trust God, not because we've seen his plans or we know that the results work out for us. But we can trust God, we can have faith in God as the person because of who he is. Because of who it is that is speaking. And so therefore, I think this text would encourage us, let's not look for the miracles that promise us what we think we need. But let's listen to the voice and believe in Him who we know to be true because it's in Him that we will see our salvation. Pray with me. Father, we gather this morning, and Lord, we are a people who like to think for ourselves, and we like to think that we are alone in the world of our grief and suffering, that we alone can find a way out, that we alone can find healing and relief. And yet, Lord, you beckon us over and over and over again to come find you, to hear your voice and to know it is good because of who you are. Give us the grace to see that. Give us the faith to believe it. And lead us forward into your good kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.